It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If we are bringing the conversation about the future of business and the future of work down to solely something about what's the next big technology that we're going to have to know about so that we'll still be in business in a few years' time, then we are selling ourselves short, massively selling ourselves short. And it turns out in many respects that the reality is far more exotic, far more tantalizing than the dreams of the science fiction writers. You can either, yes, you can either create the future or you can be subjected to it and then react accordingly. Hello and welcome to Future Visions, the show from Virgin exploring the surreal world of tomorrow through the finest minds of today. I'm Natalie Campbell, and throughout this series, we've been meeting at the intersection between technology and society to imagine what the world might look like in 20 years' time. We've taken dives into the themes of artificial intelligence, virtual reality, holograms, haptic communications, big data and pre-crime, and faced bold predictions about their impact on the world. But in our final episode of the series, we're going to put technology to one side for a moment and get into the mindset of the future. If we're to keep up with the changing pace of the world, what are the optimum conditions for innovation and for future-proofing? The two go hand in hand. Meet Ben Hammersley. When we talk about the future, we're talking about a combination of technology, of politics, of culture. And all of those things are made up of the individual actions we take every day. So I think the correct way of future-proofing is more of a daily practice. You know, it's not a thing of making a prediction and heading towards it. It's literally every day looking at the way that you do things and adjusting accordingly to the current situation. This is Ben Hammersley, a renowned futurist, journalist and speaker, who also happens to be a war correspondent, emergency medic, pilot and rescue diver, amongst other things. He also happens to have one of the best moustaches in the industry. So I think they call it the sort of cruise missile technique, as opposed to a cannonball technique. So, you know, if you fire a cannon, if you've aimed it slightly wrongly, then the cannonball will go in the wrong place and you've missed. Whereas a cruise missile is continually correcting its course. It's never on course. It's always slightly off, but it's always correcting itself back again. And I think that's the best way to future-proof, is, to, is for it to be a, a daily practice rather than this one big gamble, this one big sort of cannon shot. Throughout his career, Ben has been helping companies and large-scale institutions get into the daily practice of future-proofing. But as it happens, the term futurist doesn't quite sit well with him. Yes, 
at the danger of using a really terrible job title, I am a professional futurist. It's a terrible word. I don't really like it. It doesn't sound particularly rigorous. And I'd like to think that in a lot of my work, especially for for my private clients, it's quite rigorous. You know, there's an awful lot of research and deep thinking that goes into it. Um, whereas a lot of futurism is really just sort of hand waving, right? Uh, or it's uh, or it's sort of a low rent science fiction. It's sort of science fiction people who can't write dialogue. Um, and so, yeah, I am a futurist, but but I'm I'm hoping to find a better word for it. And actually, the vast majority of my work could really be called presentism, in that it's trying to bring organizations or individuals or governments or you know militaries or whatever whoever my client is into the present day you know up to 2017 rather than you know let's think about what the world will be like in 2030 we have no idea what the world's gonna be like in 2030 and then to be honest with you it doesn't really matter because most organizations it's still 1997 for them so it's not really even futurism it's more like let's just get up to date and that's that's pretty much what I do so I'm a presentist. So I was laughing out loud there because this idea that companies need to get out of 1997 and into 2017 is so true. They need to be present more so than thinking about the future in some cases. But let's get into this idea of presentism. It's perhaps a shift in focus compared to the big picture futurism we've discussed in some of our previous episodes. But I definitely like the idea of being super present. Let's find out why Ben thinks this is a more effective approach. I think the, the problem with, with all of these sorts of future projects is that the word future is also, um, in many ways, tainted. Because when we use the word future, we're talking about something which is, you know, it's, it's sometime in the future, it doesn't really matter. And so if you're thinking about future-proofing yourself, then it's much better to be one of the people nurturing that future along, you know, making it happen, rather than waiting around for somebody else to make it happen and then... Um, hoping that you got your predictions right. So for Ben, getting people engaged is the key to driving forward. And by changing the mindset, by putting the jeopardy or benefit in the present, Ben argues that you're more likely to act or engage with the subject and make a difference there and then. This makes a lot of sense to me and I'm sure it makes sense to you too. But Ben goes one further to say that a lot of prediction can be as useful as flat out gambling. And we all know how useful that can be if the chips are against you. Big gamble futurism concepts, they, they come around all the time. There are, there are a few which sort of repeat themselves and that um, people fall in love with without knowing the history and knowing why it failed the first three times. Every time they've gotten very popular, the reason they go away is because we study them and it turns out that they are completely counterproductive for the things that people think they're good for. Ben has a few favourite examples and they're things we can all probably sympathise with. Yeah, so some good examples of that, you know, the paperless office is one. Currently, most creative companies have open plan offices because they're meant to be really creative. They're not. All of the studies show that they're really, really bad for creative thought. Here in London, for example, especially in Shoreditch, there are lots of these sort of innovation centres which have been set up by incredibly dull, large corporations. Those are nonsense, absolute nonsense. And, it's, and you can see why they, get, why they happen. But you can also see why they fail completely. Well, you know, we're a, we're a bank, and so uh, we know we need to modernize because at some point Amazon or Google or somebody like that is going to come along and take our business. So um, 
we've got to innovate and we've got to head towards the future. So what we're going to do is we're going to set up an innovation center. And so uh, one of our vice presidents visited Google a few years ago and he noticed they had bean bags. So we're going to get lots of bean bags and we're going to paint the walls lots of bright colors. And we're going to get, you know, we're going to get some um, snacks, which will be free to the people who work in the innovation center. And then we'll take everybody who works for us who's a little bit weird and or has a hoodie and we're going to move them from where they are now. We're going to put them in the innovation center and we're going to we're going to free them up to innovate and really shake things up, you know, really, really disrupt our core business. And they'll create some prototypes for something virtual reality based savings account or something. And then six months later, everybody who's working there will all leave because it's obvious that none of those projects that they're creating will ever make it into the mainstream of the business. While I love me a beanbag, Ben clearly takes some amusement in poking fun at examples of futurism gone wrong. And we could use things like open plan offices and innovation centres as cautionary tales of wasted time. While I'm not sure I'm willing to give up on the long-term view quite just yet, this idea of presentism definitely seems like a productive mindset to be in. Many researchers think, as much as anything, Presentism is actually a reaction to the new era of innovation. This is Joey Ito, an internet entrepreneur, venture capitalist and director of the MIT Media Lab. As an early stage investor in companies such as Kickstarter, Twitter and Last.fm, he's been privy to some of the world's most innovative and fast growing companies. You know, the Media Lab is well known for building a lot of things that either predict the future or feel like they come from the future. And my predecessor, uh, Nicholas Negroponte, was famous for having predicted many things, like um, the famous Negroponte switch, which was the idea that everything that was going over the airways back then, uh, like television, would go into wires, into cable, and that everything that was in the wires, like our phones, would go into the airwaves. And uh, he predicted other things in the 90s, that uh, newspapers would be delivered over the network. So back then, people thought he was crazy, but a lot of them turned out to be true. So he was quite a futurist. And uh, I spent a lot of time with futurists, but I personally found that whether I'm living my own life or directing the research at the lab, while I do have a long-term vision of where I'd like things to go, the having really detailed plans, I didn't feel was the most effective way to be uh, responsive and to be uh, effective in, in, in moving yourself into the future. And so I felt that instead of predicting and having goals and having plans, that being uh, extremely aware of what was going on and being extremely responsive and very present was both from a sort of just a personal well-being perspective and a operating method for a research lab I thought was actually more appropriate. So I think it starts a little bit before the internet. I think the uh, personal computer and the beginning of Moore's law, which decreased the cost and increased the speed of computing geometrically, um, combined with the internet, which drove the communication and collaboration costs down to nearly zero for many people, allowed you know open source software, free software to emerge and significantly lowered the cost of innovation and increased the speed of doing things, but also increased the complexity. And so I think it became less important to plan everything because if it's costing less, you can just do it and try it and iterate. And also because the things were so complex, it was much harder to uh, be prepared for everything. And so having a company or a lab or a person uh, who is able to be connected to everything that's going on and to be uh, agile seemed to be uh, much more important. So, so I think the, the internet and the diminishing cost of innovation is what increases the value 
of agility and decreases the value of roadmaps. Joey sees the need for agility as a consequence of the times. And in a world that's so reactive, wasting time drawing up big picture roadmaps isn't always a productive option. Why not just ship, get it out to the public and find out what they think? Uh, so my name is Margaret Heffernan. I'm the author of a book called Beyond Measure, The Big Impact of Small Changes, which I wrote primarily because I was very struck that a lot of people felt very overwhelmed and seemed to think that if they couldn't imagine change on a kind of epic scale, then they couldn't change anything. And I thought it was really important to point out that there are all sorts of things that are quite small and appear insignificant that can, in fact, have a profound impact on how we work. This is Margaret Heffernan, an international businesswoman, lecturer, author and speaker. She's led a number of TED Talks on business approach and mindset, and her latest book is titled Beyond Measure, The Big Impact of Small Changes. Almost every corporation I've ever worked with at some point has had some kind of change program. Uh, these days it's sexier to call them transformation programs, uh, but they're basically the same thing. They're trying to get from here to there. And they have approximately a 70% failure rate. They're often quite big, quite expensive. They go over long periods of time. And of course, it, the failure rate is not just kind of sad and tragic for the people who invested huge amounts of time and money in them, but I think they have a really even more negative outcome, which is they leave people feeling rather cynical and hopeless. So I was really trying to look at, you know, where can you intervene? How can you think about interventions that actually might be more positive than that? And actually, no matter who you are, or where you are in your organization, you can have an impact on the people around you. And some of this relates to kind of network theory, you know, that everything in the network can impact the network. And so I thought in a rather kind of pragmatic way, actually, instead of trying to work out the perfect roadmap for changing everything, which is way too complex, uh, the best thing is start where you are and see what it is you can change. So even if I'm, you know, in a pretty insignificant position inside a gigantic organization, how I help people, how I talk to people, the questions I ask, the way I plan my time, the way that I think about my work, all of those things can have quite a profound impact on other people. Constant iteration seems to be the best way forward, and Ben wholeheartedly agrees with this approach. The genuine innovation and the genuine futurism is where they say to the entire company, OK, every single day you come into the office, see if you can do something slightly differently in a better way, right? Let's evolve the way we do business. The technique that I would use is what I call constant legacy-free reinvention, which is whatever it is that you're doing, and this can be in your personal life, or it can be at work, or whatever it is, right? Whatever it is you're doing. Every so often, you should look at the thing you're doing and just say, OK, if I was solving this problem for the first time, because everything you do is effectively solving a problem, right? If I was solving this problem for the first time, or trying to get this thing done for the first time, how would I do it? Would I do it in a different way than I'm doing it now? And for the vast majority of companies, the answer to that is yes, I would do it in a completely different way. Now those changes, those, those like little innovations are usually very small. Very small changes, but if small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're constantly doing that, you'll be constantly changing the way you operate. And after a couple of years, you'll look back and you'll go, we do, things, we do everything completely differently today than we did two years ago. The stakes are much lower. But the effect is that you evolve much more quickly. It's a mindset thing rather than a technology thing or a, a reaction to technology. It's, it's, more of a, it's a set of techniques that you have to be doing all the time rather than, rather than just making one big prediction and then heading towards it. So you don't treat innovation or the future as this big project that you're going to do. It's just a constant process. Constant legacy-free reinvention seems to be Ben's fancy way of saying chipping away at it, doing a little bit of innovation every day in every moment. But is this really the optimum mode for innovation, seeing as we've only just got our heads around that as a concept? And if so, how can we inspire our companies and employees to take on board this mindset? You're listening to Future Visions, the programme by Virgin exploring the surreal world of tomorrow through the finest minds of today. And in this episode, we're peering into Ben Hammersley's mind and model for the future, one where perhaps counterintuitively, we're focused on taking one day at a time. Ben believes being super present and immediately reactive to problems and challenges is the best mindset for accelerating change. And MIT's Joey Ito thinks that this is already an approach employed by some of the world's most progressive tech companies. Well, I think there are many companies that have been successful because they didn't follow specific plans, but they had a vision. I, I call it compasses over maps. You know, when I first met the YouTube guys, um, they had just pivoted away from the original launch, which was, I think, in 2005, they were a dating site with video. But it wasn't until MySpace was taking off that YouTube pivoted to become the video embed plugin for, for MySpace. And um, they knew they wanted to be the largest video site in the world. But the way they got there, uh, they decided and reacted in a very agile way as the sort of market changed. Um, you know, there, there are others. I, I work very closely on um, Twitter when we were launching in Japan. But, you know, every time... You know, when when users started using hashtags, I remember the Twitter guys were like, oh, we don't, this is human readable, we don't like this. 
but okay, well, let's add a feature to, that allows that. Or, or now everybody's um, linking to video. Should we embed that? And 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 at the beginning, actually, Twitter people sort of made fun of my investing in Twitter because they said, "Oh, this is this isn't a company; it's a feature." But the idea is, when you have a network of all kinds of things connected to each other, having something that looks like a feature that's modest, that does something very uh, uh, valuable and useful, and is constantly iterating on the product based on what uh, is happening in the world around it in terms of new services and the way people use things. That kind of agility is ex extremely important for survival right now. And I think those aren't about having, you know, really specific plans. As an entrepreneur, what I want to know, and I'm sure what you want to know too, is how can we create these optimum conditions for innovation within our own businesses and organisations? Well, first, we need to give people permission. I think a key element that made this internet successful and what happens when you diminish the cost of innovation is that you can have what I call permissionless innovation. So if it doesn't cost anything for you to, let's say, create Yahoo, Facebook, or uh, Google in their first instances, they didn't have to raise money. And if you don't have to raise money, you don't have to ask permission. And permission is a, is a huge uh, uh, friction against innovation. So if you're in a company, and if the people are both technically as well as uh, from a rules perspective allowed to try things without asking permission, I think that significantly increases their ability both to be agile and to be innovative. I think it's really important to articulate the value of dissent because, you know, we talk a lot of hocus pocus around innovation and creativity. But the truth is that great ideas generally start off as pretty crappy ideas and they get better because of discussion that happens around them. So you want some scratchy conversations. And if you have completely polite conversations, the chances are nothing will change and nothing very interesting is going to come out of them. Sometimes you need permission if it's going to cost a lot of money or if it involves uh, breaking rules and things like that. But what you, I think, need to do is to try to figure out what is the cost of granting that permission. So if it takes a dozen meetings and a proposal, um, a lot of people won't go through the energy or the idea may lose its uh, sort of creative juices as it goes through that process. And sometimes the cost of the process itself, like if you added up all the hours that people spend on trying to grant permission, if that cost of the process exceeds the cost of actually trying something, uh, it's often better to come up with a method so that you can just allow people to try things um, rather than having to ask permission to try things. Organizations which spend the majority of their creative energy in preventing change are inherently doomed, right? Well, if you want to be changing culture, if you want to be shaping the world around you, if you want to be doing interesting stuff, if you want to be working with interesting people, if you want to recruit interesting people, then you have to be at the forefront of things. You have to be pushing culture forward. Rather than waiting for somebody else to do it and seeing if you've predicted that correctly. Giving your employees permission to try things, to fail, to be reactive to users and to just get going can be daunting. But imagine a world in 20 years time where things are going to be even more fast paced than they are now. Agility is going to be key in navigating a world in which AI is helping us to create and automate, where big data is boss, and where instantaneous decisions and constant iteration is going to be more important than ever. In order to make this happen, in order to make this a reality, do we need to become more mindful? Joey Ito has more thoughts on this. I think different people have different 
personalities and different practices and methods that work well for them. I think uh, I meditate. I do Qigong, which is a Chinese sort of Tai Chi-like uh, breathing and a movement exercise. And I teach a class at MIT called Principles of Awareness with a monk named Tenzin Priyadarshi, where we require all the students to have uh, seven hours of sleep and practice some sort of meditation every every day, some sort of mindfulness. And and take uh, and write in their journals. And it's interesting to see how much diversity there is in, in the way that people find an ability to become present and become more aware. But, uh, you know, I think, but the, but the idea that that's a good thing and that uh, you want to experiment with different ways to do it, I think is really the first place to start. And there are lots of tools online uh, that can help you uh, depending on what sort of personality you have. So what would our experts recommend we have in our toolkit for the future? And how can we nurture this mindset in ourselves and in the people around us? If we are bringing the conversation about the future of business and the future of work down to, down to solely something about what's the next big technology that we're going to have to know about so that we'll still be in business in a few years' time, then we are selling ourselves short, you know, massively selling ourselves short. So it's much more interesting, I think, when we're talking about futurism to think about a much wider concept of personal growth and a striving for betterment in everything we do and everything that we are rather than just what thing am I going to have to buy in the Apple store in the next six months. There was a New York Times article I think a couple of years ago that said that half of interesting inventions were discovered by accident and a lot of this is really you, you sort of come up with creative things on a whim you know, and so the other part about having permissionless innovation is if you're being told to make this uh, pointing thing pointier and you've discovered that this pointy thing can do something else, but if that's not what you're supposed to be doing, you're not going to figure out an application for this other idea. But if you have permission to look around and have your peripheral vision open, you will embrace the serendipity that often is around. And so, so part of permission also is the permission to pivot. First of all, think for yourself. There is more propaganda and nonsense being talked about the future than at any time I can remember. Everybody acts as if they know. Nobody does know. The future hasn't happened yet. So there is everything to be argued, debated, and played for. So the first thing I'd say is when someone confidently tells you exactly what the future is going to be, um, you know they're smoking something. Think for yourself. Ask really good questions. Be skeptical. Ask what people are selling. Whose side are they on and why? What is the motive behind their prognostications? And what are the signs that you see that tell you this is right, wrong, irrelevant, trivial, clever? Make your own mind up. Because the future is what you do with it. It hasn't been written yet. You know, I think it's it's important to have some vision into the future. You should track the trends. You should sort of have an image of where you're going. And so visualization, I think, is really important. It's just the attachment to a particular thing. Uh, so this, this sounds a little bit Buddhist, but you know, you, you shouldn't become unhappy if a certain vision of the future that you have doesn't happen. And you should be uh, present and mostly concerned with the way you are rather than um, you know, what you hope to earn or gain. Um, and so I, I think it's the, the Taoism has a lot to do with this notion of uh, non-attachment that Buddhists have and the ability to dump a bunch of code and pivot if that code isn't working anymore or 
try not to set uh, too many things like monetary goals or achievement goals and, and focus on really um, living life to its fullest at the moment. We should be having these much more philosophical questions in our own heads, not necessarily with our colleagues, but right, but like within yourself to say, you know, what is it going to be in my future which will fulfill me? In fact, you know, future proofing should be what's life going to be like next week? And then when we get to next week, reassessing and then doing that again and again and again and again. And that takes um, a whole new set of skills that most people don't have. It takes a sort of a mindfulness about your your habits. It takes a mindfulness about the way you work. It takes introspection about the techniques that you're using. It takes a curiosity about techniques that other people are using, about the world and so on. So it's, it's a completely different set of, of skills that most people don't um, associate with this. So I would read books about, you know, psychology and art and, you know, jazz or whatever it is, whatever it is that excites you, rather than just a whole lot of business books. If our thoughts about the future are indeed right, when we think about virtual reality, holograms, haptic communications, how are we to maintain our sanity in this world if we don't practice mindfulness, presentism and stay grounded in the day-to-day? This is where Ben's points really come home to roost. Keeping our attitude in the present seems to be vital to making progress and making a meaningful difference day by day. Put this podcast down and go out and do something that really fulfills you and think deeply about why it fulfills you and then try and take those lessons and apply them to the thing you do Monday to Friday. And that's it for this episode and this series of the Future Visions podcast. Thanks again to Ben Hammersley and all of our guests in this series, including our futurist James Bellini, Araceli Camargo, Peter Smith, Cindy Gallup and Tracy Follows, as well as the myriad of amazing scientists and technologists, writers and experts who've helped along the way. Remember, you can listen back to all of the previous episodes of Future Visions by heading to virgin.com. And you can share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Virgin using the Future Visions hashtag. Good luck with your future proofing, both now and in the next 20 years. From me, Natalie Campbell, it's goodbye for now. Hello, Future Visions listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not try the Voom podcast from Virgin Media Business, the show that tells stories of amazing entrepreneurs, mavericks and innovators. We meet people who've taken it upon themselves to challenge industries with new ways of thinking. So each episode, we have an original disruptor, a current entrepreneur who's making waves and someone who might represent the future. In March of 1994, we launched Maya Gold, which was based on a Maya cocoa recipe, but we had translated it into a chocolate bar recipe. It was a huge wave of support because all the organizations that had been part of the Fair Trade Foundation all really got behind it. We had vicars 
in the pulpits telling their parishioners, go forth and multiply the sales of this product because <laughs> it's, you know, it's got the fair trademark. And very quickly, bananas, coffee, sugar, tea, those companies came in with fair trade products too once they saw the scale of support for the brand. That's the Voom podcast with me, Nikki Beatty. Subscribe now on iTunes or via your favorite podcast app. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.